Hello and welcome to the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 63. My name is Ismael Sahuan. Thank you so much for being here. Osaka needs a break from tennis. Is she considering retirement? Also, the villain of the U.S. Open, Tsitsipas, loses to 18-year-old Carlos Alcaraz in the third round of the U.S. Open. Rublev versus Tiafo live up to the billing. It was an amazing match that ended at 2.14 New York time. Also, Ronaldo returns to United. What does this mean for United? What does this mean for Ronaldo? In the NBA, Nets sign Millsap and Aldridge. Lakers are going to sign DeAndre Jordan. It looks like Lakers-Nets final is inevitable. And the NFL season is less than a week away. Five things I am looking forward to in the NFL season. All of that on this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. Osaka had an interesting choice of words yesterday when talking about um, her future, her tennis match. Um, she she you know addressed the media. She started crying a little bit. She got very emotional, and she basically said that she doesn't know when she's gonna play again. She's not enjoying her tennis and that she needs a break and i think it's very evident that she does need a break she needs to you know take a step back from tennis and you know analyze it from you know a couple a couple steps back and see if she really wants to continue to do this um here are some of her quotes that she said yesterday at the end of her press conferences she had answered some other questions before this was at the end when she was addressing uh, i believe it was the japanese media so these are her quotes. Recently, when I win, I don't feel happy. I feel more like a relief. When I lose, I feel very sad, and I don't think that's normal. I'm kind of at this point where I'm trying to figure out what I want to do, and honestly, I don't know when I'm going to play my next match. And she said this very emotional, like from the heart. You could tell that she was. It was tough. It was tough for her to say. I think the 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 leader of the media like segment kind of wanted to like uh, cut her off and. I think she was. She thought she was helping her out, and she was like, "Okay, you know, we're done here." And she was like, "No, let me finish." Osaka was like, "No, nah, let me finish. Let me finish." And she finished, and you know, it, it just felt like she really wanted to address the media. Um, she must have a lot of pressure. She must feel like she's letting a lot of people down. But you know, I think she does need to take a step back. Like, obviously, she's a great player. She's a young player. She's one of these next generation that's gonna, you know, carry woman tennis into the future and you know we're all excited to see her as tennis fans or just as sports fans or just as anyone that likes to see young talent coming um and you know taking the mantle or taking the reins from from the older generation and just being great we're all excited to see her succeed and be great but you know i feel like for the most part fans are pretty you know they'll turn on you quickly and osaka she she was the reigning champion she won the U.S. Open, and it looked like the crowd was behind her. They they were cheering for her. Obviously, everyone that was attending the U.S. Open, anyone that's following the U.S. Open knows about Osaka and the French Open and how she, you know, all, everything that happened in the French Open, why she missed Wimbledon. So everybody was, you know, like I feel like everyone was trying to be supportive of her, and for the most part they were. But as soon as, you know, Osaka um, started playing, uh, started losing her composure against uh, Leila Fernandez. Then you can see the, the crowd turning on her. They even booed her a little bit. She was taking a little bit of time to get back, to get back into ready position. And that just goes to show, like you know, the crowd, crowd will root you. You know, they'll stay with you. They'll ride with you when you're doing great. But you know, they're quick to turn on you too. Like like we saw yesterday, they were rooting for her. Um, then it would look like she might get upset and. They were rooting for the upset. And then as soon as Osaka started to show some signs of, you know, not really wanting to be there or maybe um, that it was too much for her. And she started, you know, acting out, throwing her racket, you know, taking a little bit longer to get back into ready position. The crowd, the crowd turned on her, started booing her a little bit. It wasn't like anything crazy, but they did turn on her a little bit. And my point being that she should take a break because if she's not enjoying her tennis i feel like it's never she can't just play herself out of it like she can't just um the only way she could do it is if she goes on a on a if she if she were to play at her her way out of it she would have to go win like a tournament something major that just uplifts you like to a different level 
but the way she's feeling right now, I think that's it's almost impossible to win a major, a grand, a uh, U.S. Open, French Open, anything like that. When you're when you're not enjoying your tennis, the the amount of pressure that she feels, that she says that when she wins, it's more of a relief. It's not even like enjoying herself. There's no way she could get to a final. And if she's not getting to a final, we're gonna see more games like this, like where she loses her composure, where she's taking a little bit longer to get in, into ready position and. You know, the crowd is going to turn on her, and then once the crowd turns on you, you're going to start enjoying tennis even less, and it's just going to be an endless a endless loop. So I think for the better of, of Naomi, I think it is better for her to take a break, to take a step back from bas- from tennis, and just, you know, gather her thoughts and, and really just analyze if she wants to do this. Because she doesn't, she doesn't have to play another tournament. Like uh, she, she had this segment with uh, Nick Kyrgios and Billie Jean, and it was pretty good. I didn't watch the whole thing, but basically, one of the clips that I saw was, um, I believe it was Billie Jean told her that you know you don't have to play another game if you don't want to, and it's true. Like I said, she's young. She's 23. Uh, we obviously all thought she was gonna be here playing. Uh, entertaining us for the next 10 plus years but if she doesn't she made money already she has a lot of endorsements um if she if she does not find tennis enjoyable anymore if it's just a cause of her anxiety of her depression if this is the main thing if she doesn't want to be in the spotlight if she's someone that thrives or wants to you know pursue another profession where she's not in the spotlight where she's able to um retreat and you know walk the streets of of wherever she lives and not be recognized and you know all of those stuff that you know us regular people regular joes get to enjoy if she wants something like that where she's you know i don't want to be a superstar i want to be a celebrity i I just want to you know do something else go ahead and pursue it um one of the things that i could tie it to is kind of like rihanna we all know that she uh, we all met her with her music that's how she you know got big and that's how she made her, her, you know, her first big break. That's how she made her money. And I think there was an interview that said, like, you know, music wasn't her passion. It wasn't like her um, her end all be all. Like she really enjoys the lingerie and the makeup and all that stuff. And we've seen that she used her platform and her success as a singer to really drive her, her you know, her Fenty brand and her makeup and all her lingerie and all that stuff. And now, me, I've been waiting for Rihanna to drop music for God knows how long. And it doesn't seem like she's really, you know, in the in the rush to drop music. And if she doesn't drop music ever, then it's pretty understandable. Like, she's made it. She doesn't have, she doesn't owe us anything. And if, I'm not, I'm not comparing the two things, but I could just say to Naomi, like, hey, you already, you already made some dough. You, you should be set. You have sponsors. Uh, you know, you already won some Grand Slams. If you're not enjoying tennis anymore, like there's no reason to keep doing it. I'm sure she could use her capital, her her money that she's already made, and just live a comfortable life and find something that really finds brings her joy instead of just you know going to tournaments with a lot of pressure, disappointing herself, disappointing others, having the crowd turn on her. It's just that's not that's not the best case scenario. And if she if she does take a step back and then she tries to pursue other venues and she doesn't enjoy them, then that might also reignite her passion for tennis. Like, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that hate their job and then they go get another job and they hate the other job more and then they go back because they're like, all right, you know what? I think I was just too close to this. I didn't I didn't look at it from a distance or. Or it could even be like relationships. You're with someone that you think is like, you always think the grass is greener and you leave them and then you come back, you get with somebody else or you don't even get anybody else and you're like, damn, I fucked, I fucked that up. I should have stayed with my, like I wasn't appreciating what I had right in front of me. So that could be the case too, Naomi. Uh, if she takes a long break, she might just have to take all of the rest of 2021 off and the tw- rest of 2022 off and then see if 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 she feels that desire to come back. And you know, I feel like she will. I feel like it's going to be a, a short break, maybe like a year long, and then she'll she'll get the itch. She'll get the itch to come back, and um, and she, hopefully she'll be back because I, I do want to see continue seeing her playing tennis. But I would not be surprised if that's it. If she does call it, if she, uh, you know, starts, starts enjoying her free time, starts enjoying being away from the spotlight and just wants to continue to live 
uh, life like that. So all I know is she definitely should take a break. She should not continue this um, the rest of the calendar year for tennis after the U.S. Open. She should definitely take a step back. She she probably should have continued her break after the French Open. She missed Wimbledon. Um, there was a, there was an immense amount of pressure to play the Olympics because it was in her native country. And then once she came back for that, it was like, okay, you're back. Like, you got to play the U.S. Open. You're the reigning champion. I think she should have just skipped everything and just, you know, gotten herself to the right place. But, hey, can't blame her for trying. And we'll see where she where she ends up. As far as Layla Fernandez, whew, she played. She's a lefty, so she gives a soccer problem. She, she, has, a, she has struggled playing against lefty players. And it was just uh, the second 18-year-old that won yesterday, uh, Leila Fernandez. She showed a lot of heart, a lot of spirit. Canadian tennis is on the rise. Shapovalov, FFA, Leila Fernandez. I think there's others. I just don't remember their names, but she played a great game. She showed a lot of composure. Um, she got broken in the second set, and Naomi was about to serve for the for the match. And Leila Fernandez broke her right back, forced a tie break, and... She dominated that tie break and she carried that momentum into the third set. Osaka lost her composure and, and that was game. Leila Fernandez got the victory. She moves on to the fourth round of the U.S. Open. It was an exciting match. I watched it. It was great. So I wish Leila Fernandez the best of luck. I mean, it's not her. It's not, you know, she had Naomi Osaka who's visibly rattled. But, you know, Leila Fernandez could only play whoever's in front of her. So shout out to her. To take out the reigning champion, upset of the week. Shout out to Leila Fernandez and for Naomi Osaka. I hope you take a break from tennis and you, you know, you figure out what you want to do um, because this, you know, this is a bad situation to be in. Like I already explained, to continue to play and try to persevere. And obviously, if you're not enjoying your tennis, you're not gonna have the best attitude. You're not gonna have the best body language, or you know. Um, reactions and the crowd is going to turn on you which is going to make you enjoy tennis even more even less which is going to make you like you know just be more irritable be more upset and it's just a bad loop so it's it's best to just take take a step back and you know analyze what you want to do and i hope you know you get you figure out what you want to do if it's tennis hey great for us great for me who likes to talk about sports if it's not then you know good luck with all your ventures the villain of the U.S. Open, Tsitsipas, loses in the third round of the U.S. Open. He loses to 18-year-old Carlos Acras, who defeats him in a five-set thriller. He is the youngest man to make it to the fourth round of the U.S. Open since Pete Sampras and Michael Chang in 1989. A very impressive, impressive match. Man, Acras really showed me a lot. Um, he has been touted as the next big thing. For Spain, um, all, Federer has commented on him. Nadal has commented on him. They they see a lot of great stuff in this man, and you know I haven't I've I haven't really seen too many matches of him, but yesterday in the big stage, playing in the biggest stadium specific for tennis in the world, he just he did not look rattled playing against the number three in the world. He looked like he was you know he was made for this. He looked like very comfortable. He wasn't rattled. There was a lot of, you know, moments in the match where it looked like Tsitsipas was going to, you know, take a stranglehold of the match and just impose his will and, and show this 18-year-old that, hey, I'm the number one, I'm the number three in the world. You know, this is this is my match. You know, thank you for a good match. But, you know, this is it. This is this is when I'm going to take control of the match. And to Alcaraz's um, credit, he always, you know, showed composure. He always fought back he was always in the match and that shows a lot of character that shows a lot of you know mental strength and on top of that he has you know a very very strong forehand and his serves got all the way up to 134 miles per hour so there's a lot of stuff that's really really impressive about this kid um, he had 45 winners off forehands and backhands and he's smart he used the crowd everyone knows that Tsitsipas has been you know, um, kind of hated on um, because of the breaks he takes, um, taking too long, going to the restroom. Um, people have accused him of cheating, of texting his coach. And, you know, 
Carlos Alcaraz used that to his advantage. Um, every time he got an important point, he was like, vamos, vamos. He was trying to get the crowd into it. The crowd got behind him. It was just... It was it was entertaining TV. I do say so myself. It was it was fun to see him play. It was fun to see him beat Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas, you know, he's taking on that villain role at the U.S. Open. Uh, it's like you want him to lose, but you can't stop watching him play. And you know, being the number three player in the world, you kind of expected him to go far into the U.S. Open. And every match, it was just fun. It was just entertaining seeing the crowd get behind the opponent boo him when he you know goes into his uh now that it looks very uh you know very common for him to go into the restroom you, you just kind of expect it in between sets you're like okay is he gonna go yep he's going to the restroom there you go and sure enough the 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 crowd would follow with some booze and it was just it was just from my from my from my point of view i think it's entertaining obviously they, there needs to be a rule change um or some type of time limit so you know players don't abuse it and just you know, cool down the the opponent. Like it, it just sucks if you win an important set, if you're getting momentum, and then your opponent goes into the restroom for ten minutes and just kills your momentum. <coughs> Savrev and others have talked about it, and but it was just fun. In my opinion, it's it's fun. Like obviously the rule is not going to change in the middle of the U.S. Open, so it's fun to see Tsitsipas become the villain and. Everyone boo him. I've even booed him, like, just watching. I'm like, come on, man, you're doing it again. So it's just all good TV, in my opinion. And to see Carlos Alcaraz be the man that takes down Tsitsipas and eliminates him, it's just, it was just a good storyline, in my opinion. Like, it would have been great for Andy Murray to take him out. And, you know, a, a winner, a, a Grand Slam winner, a major winner, one of you know, one of the greats, one of the most renowned names in tennis. It would have been great, but Tsitsipas came back. Give him credit. He fought back. He won. And then you were kind of seeing, you know, the, the crowd get behind every opponent of Tsitsipas. And for it to be an 18-year-old, you know, who's been touted as, you know, the next big thing for Spain, it was just, it was amazing. I, I enjoyed the whole match. Um, but his, men, his, his mental strength is what really impressed me. Uh, down two breaks in the third, he came back. It was 2-5. Down two breaks. Um, and he comes back and wins that, and he wins it in the tie break, and you're like, okay, he's getting momentum, 2-1. And Tsitsipas comes back in the fourth set and leaves him in a bagel, wins 4-0, and this man just comes back. Carlos Alcaraz, this man, this kid comes back and just shows the number three what's up and eliminates him, and it was just amazing. Like I said, that forehand was good. He had Tsitsipas behind the baseline, and man, those drop shots that he had, he just had Tsitsipas running all over the court. Tsitsipas for a big man, he moves pretty well. But man, Carlos Alcaraz was just—he was just special. He was just special. And if this is anything, if this is signs of things to come, then I'm very excited to see Carlos Alcaraz mature and take that next step. And he might be the next big thing. Like if if you're a Spanish tennis fan, then you know it looks like Nadal is getting to the tail end of his career you know he he already conceded that he's not gonna play in 2021 hopefully he comes back in 2022 strong but you have Carlos Alcaraz to root for and it looks like he's gonna be great um there's a lot of records that he's broken that he's uh that he's achieving some of the stuff that Nadal uh doesn't even have or some of these achievements that Nadal doesn't even have uh I think he's the first person first person of 18 years or younger to defeat a number three since like 1970 something so it's just incredible what he's doing and man that was a that was it was a thriller it was a great match um i thoroughly enjoyed it let me know what you guys think uh how far do you guys think carlos Alcaraz could go this side of the draw just opened up a lot with rublev losing which we'll talk about in a little bit Tsitsipas losing. Everyone was just saying advantage Medvedev because now it looks like he's uh he's really uh his draw just got a lot easier. But man, this kid might just go on a on a Cinderella story. Here here's the stat that I was looking at. Uh became the youngest player to defeat a top three seed at the US Open since ATP rankings began in nineteen seventy three. So man, this is 
this was history that we watched, man. This is incredible. 18 year, 18 years old, senior in high school, just defeated the number three player at the U.S. Open in the biggest stadium, tennis specific stadium in the world. It's just incredible. And it was amazing. And now we see the villain of the U.S. Open leave Tsitsipas after, you know, getting to the French Open final. Uh, he lost in the first round in Wimbledon uh, to Tiafo and uh francis tiafo and then he got to the semifinals of the cincinnati open losing to sevrev and now he's out in the third down at the u.s open so you know not the best not the best results since um reaching the the finals of the french open and you know that's that's what we've kind of been accustomed to from this next generation they have some nice highs but then they're unable to follow it up and, you know, we've been kind of spoiled seeing the greatness of Djokovic and Nadal and Federer throughout the years where, you know, once they broke into the scene, they were like pretty much there uh, other than a few slumps that obviously they've had. But they were almost always like there. And it's, this next generation is just, whew. hopefully Severev could, you know, he had that breakthrough at the Olympics. He won that gold and we'll see how he does and if he makes it to the finals or he goes far into this tournament but it just seems to be a reoccurring issue but we'll see i'm just very excited for carlos alcaraz and what what he represents for the future of tennis and let me know what you guys think what do you guys think about carlos alcaraz congratulations to him on the match of his life and Tsitsipas, you know he said after after he did have the press conferences he did say that he's not breaking any rules and you know, by the letter of the law, he, he's not. But, you know, in the spirit of the game, I think we could all say that, you know, you could be acting a little bit better. But he's he's out of the tournament, so we don't have to talk about it anymore. Rublev versus Tiafo. This was a match that I was really looking forward to. Uh, Tiafo, um, not that high of a ranking. I believe he was like 55 in the world. Rublev, who just enjoyed a deep run into the Cincinnati Open. Uh, he got to the final, losing to Severev in under an hour. Uh, the final, he didn't have the best performance. Uh, Severev completely dominated, but Rublev still a great, great tournament. And he came in here hot. He came in here as the number seventh ranked player in the world, number five seed at the U.S. Open. And I thought, I thought, you know, two twenty-three year olds. These guys have played with each other for a while. Um, they grew up playing against each other in the juniors. So I thought it was going to be a good match. Tiafo, you know, he he's a very inconsistent player right now in his career. Uh, he, he has some good victories against top 10 players, but he also has, you know, a lot of inconsistency. He he, he kind of struggles to uh, tie wins, um, put, to put one great performance after another. He'll have a great game, like defeating Tissipas in the first round of Wimbledon, and then in the next the next match there's a letdown and he doesn't play up to you know the the potential that he has the capabilities that he has but i thought you know this was going to be a great match both of them young 23 year olds rublev a little bit more established 23 year old top 10 player in the world tiafo a junior uh, a junior you know like prodigy he had a lot of good success when he was a junior it hasn't translated that much as you know in the pros in the majors but I thought it was going to be a good match. I thought it, would, it had the potential to be a really good match. I was telling my friends, like, damn, this this is one you got to watch. This is going to be a good one. And sure enough, it lived up to the billing. Um, they played till 2.14 p.m. New York time, the sixth latest match ever. Um, Tiafo, for all the inconsistencies that I've mentioned already, he is the first American to reach the second week of the U.S. Open in back-to-back -back years since Andy Reddick, Roddick and Marty Fish in 2011-2012. And, you know, after after the match, we'll get into the match a little bit, but after the match in his press conference, he said, I want these guys. I want to put it on my resume. I came out today, and I was like, I'm going to beat him. I grew up with these guys. I don't fear any of these guys. Let's keep going. And that was just, I was I was hyped. I like Tiafo because he's a, he's a showman. He's, he, he. He gets the crowd into it. He he dances. He celebrates his points. He makes tennis fun. And, you know, I like that. I enjoy that. And uh, it was good. Rublev started strong. He won that first set. 
he broke Tiafo pretty early in the set, I believe. And after, I was getting kind of worried because Rublev, he is the number seven in the world. He has a lot more rank than Tiafo. And Tiafo could get down sometimes. He could, you know, the moment sometimes gets too big for him or he gets down on his head. But to Tiafo's credit, he stayed through it the whole match. Whenever there was a, a slump, whenever he double faulted or, you know, he missed a volley or something like that, he always came back strong. And I could really appreciate that. Even the commentators were talking about it. Like, it, it really looks like Tiafo has matured because there's, you know, one mistake will lead to another. And he would just have a string of mistakes. And he couldn't stop, you know, the crash that was he was experiencing. And yesterday, uh, by no means did Tiafo play like a perfect game or anything like that. But every time that he had a little hiccup, he would come back strong. He would double fall. He would come back with the ace. Uh, and he would be down 15-40. He'll boom, boom. We're at deuce. It was just, it was, it was kind, of, it kind of felt like a coming of age match for Francis Tiafo. I believe before this match, he had a 2-10 and 10 record. In matches that went five sets. So for him to pull this out against the number seventh ranked player in the world was just, it was it was exciting. It's exciting for American tennis. You know, we don't, the U.S. doesn't have a player in the top 30 rankings in the world for tennis. So I, people have heralded Tiafo as that guy that's going to, you know, bring back U.S. tennis into, you know, heights. But we'll see. We'll see if he's able to do that for now. Let's just enjoy this um, this moment. But Tiafo, like I said, this felt like a coming-of-age moment for him. Um, Rublev did have a lot of mistakes uh, in the third set. He was serving for the match in the tiebreaker. He was up 6-5, and he double-faulted, went 6-6. And after that, uh, Tiafo ended up winning the tiebreak. And it looked like he was going to get all the momentum. Tiafo was up 4-2 in the fourth. It looked like he was ready to close it out. Um, and he drops four straight games, losing 6-4 in the fourth. And now you're thinking, okay, Rublev, number seventh-ranked player in the world against Tiafo, who's, who's known to be inconsistent. It just looked like, you know, Tiafo had his chance to wrap it up in the fourth set, and he let it slip, and now Rublev was going to show his class. He was going to show why he's a top-ten player. And to Tiafo's credit, he came in the fifth firing he won six one in the in the fifth set, just dominating Rublev. It was amazing. It was incredible. I'm glad I stayed up. The U, um, the crowd definitely backed up Tiafo. Obviously, American playing in the U.S. Open in New York, the crowd was amazing. They were chanting USA, USA throughout the whole match. They were chanting uh, Tiafo, Tiafo. They were they were just super behind Francis Tiafo and. Tiafo, as a man that, you know, thrives with energy, who plays with a lot of heart, who's a showman, who just likes to entertain, who likes to celebrate with points, who likes to celebrate winning sets, matches, everything. It just, it was a perfect combination. Um, the crowd was firing him up. He was, he was, um, you know, getting energy off of them. And it was just, it was just a nice spectacle. It was fun. It was a fun match, um, over three hours long. I'm glad I stayed up to watch it. It was exciting. And we'll see how far Tiafo goes. Like I said, this side of the draw is opening up. He goes against uh, FFA next. And I wouldn't put it past him. He he could, if he plays like he played against Rublev, he definitely has a chance to beat FAA. Um, that's going to be another good match. So if you're looking for some good tennis, it's scheduled to go around 4 p.m. tomorrow on Sunday. But if this U.S. Open has showed us anything, is that a lot of these matches are going the distance and some matches keep getting pushed back. So I would say maybe like around 5, 5.30 if this trend continues. But it is scheduled for around 4 p.m. tomorrow. And I think that's going to be a great match. And if he's able to beat FFA, then the the draw just keeps opening up. And it wouldn't be crazy to think that if Tiafo gets past FFA, he could potentially get to the semifinals against Medvedev. I'm, I'm not calling it. I'm not saying that he's going to do that, but the draw did open up with Tsitsipas losing and, you know, others losing. And we'll see. We'll see how far Tiafu could go. And I'm rooting for him. He's a showman. He's entertaining. He he likes to celebrate. He did the LeBron afterwards. He's just a fun guy to watch play tennis. And I like that. 
Uh, obviously, there's some people that don't like it, but I myself, I, I like an entertainer. I like someone that, you know, could play tennis, could be respectful of, you know, their opponent. Um, I like the exchange Rublin Tiafo had at the middle, at the net, at the end of the match. It looked like there was no hard feelings. They hugged it out. Uh, they had, I think they exchanged some words. Tiafo patted him in the back. I'm pretty sure they both respected each other after a five-match, thr- five-set thriller. So, you know, I'm a big uh, Francis Tiafo fan. Uh, and I hope he goes far. It was a great match. The match lived up to the billing, in my opinion. But what do you guys think? Uh, obviously, you might not have stayed up to watch it. Rublev, he is, you know, yeah, he's he's a bigger name. If you're not American, if you don't follow Tiafo, it, it could have just been, you could have just thought Rublev was just going to win this. But you missed out if you didn't watch it. It was a great match, and I'm glad I stayed up. Um, how far do you guys think Tiafo could go in the U.S. Open? Let me know. But moving along, let's talk some football. Ronaldo returns to United. It's almost been a week for me to digest it, to think about it. And the more I think about it, the more I like the move. It's great for Ronaldo. It's great for the Premier League. And it's absolutely amazing for United. Uh, The possibility of Ronaldo going to Manchester City must have killed Red fans. Um, It must have killed the board of directors for United. It must have killed all of Ronaldo's past teammates and... It looked like they all, you know, got together. Everyone was texting Ronaldo, don't do it, don't do it. Don't join, you know, the other side of United. It's going to kill your legacy. It's going to, you know, tarnish your relationship with Manchester United fans who still adore you, who still, you know, are thinking about those times when you were with United, all those great times United has struggled in the in the recent years. And thankfully, Ronaldo does not go to Manchester City, and he is now reunited with Manchester United with the Reds faithful. And I'm excited. I'm a Wolves fan. I support the Wolves. Obviously, the Wolves, you know, they have zero wins in the first three matches. They are not going to compete for the title. I don't think I'm being a negative fan or, you know, I don't think I'm saying anything crazy. I don't think anyone would revoke my Wolves fan card for saying something like that. So, you know, obviously, United is in a different race than my Wolves are. It's, it's sad to say. Obviously, I hope the Wolves one day, you know, could fight for the title. But for now, you know, top six, top ten is what we're fighting. So, for me, Ronaldo makes United the title favorites. It just it just does. It, Ronaldo, he not just only brings goals, he brings a, a leadership and, like, a different type of leadership. There's a bunch of leaders, and, you know, they're good. They're they're good with their words you know you, you respect them Ronaldo is a different kind of leader because you don't just only respect them you kind of adore this man you kind of he's bigger than the sport he's bigger than life sometimes it's it's freaking Ronaldo you know he's a legend a lot of these people grew up trying to be Ronaldo trying to imitate doing his celebrations rocking his cleats um I, I mean obviously I, I grew up playing soccer competitive soccer and Everybody wanted the materials. Everyone wanted to, you know, rock the socks like he did. Do the free kick pose. Everyone. Like, anyone that played a winger was trying to do what Ronaldo does. And including these young guys in United, I could assure you they were trying to do a lot of the stuff that Ronaldo does. So it's just a different type of leadership. He's He, he leads like most leaders does and then some more. He he, he galvanizes you. He, he'll take you to places you think you're not even able to go. And as long as Ronaldo's on the field, you think you have a chance. You could be two, three goals down. Ronaldo's on the field. We are not done. Obviously, he's not the same player that he once was. He doesn't influence the game for all 90 minutes. I could, you know, I could say that with confidence. That's one of the knocks on him. He he could disappear sometimes. But he has those moments of brilliance. Those He just has, like, an aura to him where he could disappear for 90 minutes and he could put two goals in the back of the net in the last five minutes and get you the victory. And that's that's just what Ronaldo brings. We saw it. If you saw it in the international stage, he just did it for Portugal on Wednesday, I believe, and it was amazing. He missed a penalty, and then he scored two headers in stoppage time to give Portugal the, the lead. I believe it was against Ireland. But it was just amazing. It was just amazing, and that's, that's what Ronaldo brings to United. And he's going to bring a certain level of expectation He's going he's gonna to work hard day in and day out. He's never going to take a day off. 
when they're down against a team, he's never going to put his head down. He's always going to be like, come on, come on, let's do it. Let's go. We could do this. And I think that's more than anything, more than the goal is that's what United needed. They needed that leader. Because before before um, Sir Alex Ferguson was there to lead, to make you feel that calmness, to he brought that pedigree. He brought that. He brought the confidence. He instilled confidence in all his players, thinking like, you know what? My coach is going to push all the right buttons, and we're going to be fine. He, if he subs me out, I know it's in the best interest for the team because this man, he's amazing, and he, he's a legend, and he's earned this respect. All the coaches since then, for some reason or another, they have not been able to bring that same aura to United. And even right now, I don't think they have the coach for the job. Um, he's done a little better, but... He still, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe in a, I don't believe in a, what's his name? I don't believe in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I don't, uh, he's done a little better. He, he got them to fourth last year or third or second, but yeah, he got them to second, but you know, he's had a lot of talent. They spent a lot of money and everyone, everyone still, you know, is doubting him. Is he able to push the right buttons? Is he, is he able to lead these guys? Is he able to set the right lineups, bench the right people at the right time and not lose the locker room? And, you know, there's a lot of questions for him, but I think, you, uh, I think Ronaldo helps. I think Ronaldo is going to lead by example and he's going to have, uh, he's, he's going to lead by example and he's going to have that locker room, you know, nice and tidy. Everyone's going to follow his lead and, it's just going to be a sight to behold. It's good for the Premier League. City, who I thought were the title favorites along with Chelsea, you add United now to them. They're definitely going to be there to the end. I don't think Ronaldo goes to United without, you know, really thinking that they could win the league. They could do something in Champions League. We all know him and Messi are chasing greatness. They're chasing that number one spot. And I don't think it's done. Uh, people think Messi's already the best. Obviously, there's a good argument for him being it, but I don't think either of them are done. Ronaldo, at the age of 36, I think he still has a lot. I, I think, I do think he could win Champions League and the league with United. Maybe not this year, but the second year, like Baran, Sancho, Ronaldo, uh, this is going to be great. Obviously, people are worried about Greenwood. What does this mean for Greenwood? Is he going to be put in the bench? Is this going to, is this going to, you know, um, halt his progression? But I think more than anything, Ronaldo is just going to inspire Greenwood. Um, he's going to tell him, you know what? You could reach these heights. Like, it's it's just, I think it's good for United. I, I'm very excited. I'm kind of fumbling my words because I'm just so excited to watch him back in United. Like, I want this international break to be over. Obviously, we all like seeing our national teams play. But I am just, I want that game to be here already. United versus Newcastle. Ronaldo is back. We get to see him on the field back at Old Trafford. I, I think it's an away game, but we'll eventually see him back at Old Trafford. We'll see him wear that number seven for United. And I'm just excited because, man, there is there is some people in United that aren't the best to root for. But as a neutral, as a neutral, and by neutral, I don't mean I don't have a team in the Premier League. I do. It's the Wolves. But as a neutral for the title race, like I don't have a team. My team, realistically, like I've already said, is not competing for the Premier League. We're competing for other stuff, Europa, or you know, not being relegated, uh, being in the top half of the table to you know get some funds, get better players. So realistically, you know, in a three-year plan, we're competing for the championship, like Leicester. I don't have a horse in the title race, so as a neutral, I could definitely support a little bit more i could lean a little bit more to united just because of the aura that ronaldo brings and like the legend that he is and i've i've admired him growing up and he's he's probably one of my favorite soccer players that's not mexican Cuauhtémoc blanco will always have a place in my heart but ronaldo is just a legend and i've always enjoyed his football and i'm just excited i'm gonna feel like i'm i'm young again i'm gonna feel like i'm 12 13 years old again watching the Premier League, seeing Ronaldo run down the flank, um, trying to learn the tricks that he used to do with United, watching tutorials on YouTube, seeing how he does these stepovers, how he does these little tricks. It's just, it, I'm I'm feeling nostalgic seeing Ronaldo with uh, United photos 
I'm rocking that number seven. It's just, it's I can't even comprehend it. He hasn't worn a United jersey since 2009, so 12 years, and he's back. It's just, it's crazy, crazy stuff. I'm super excited. Uh, I can't even get, I can't even fathom this. This is just, this transfer window has been ridiculous. Ramos and Messi and Donnarumma and a bunch of other players joining PSG. It looked like Mbappe was going to leave, but he stays. Ronaldo going to United, City getting Grealish. It's just been a crazy, crazy transfer window. I think overall the Premier League wins. The Premier League had a great transfer window. They get Lukaku, they get Ronaldo, they get a bunch of other players. The Premier League is just, I think, head and shoulders the best league right now. Uh, the stars have left La Liga. Uh, Serie A is still trying to, you know, uh, get that aura that they used to have back in the early 2000s it's definitely not the bundesliga although bayern is a powerhouse they're not the best league in the world it's it's not it's definitely not the french league either it just looks like the premier league is getting stronger and stronger and now they have ronaldo and united have ronaldo now and it's just exciting get get yourself ready get your get your popcorn ready that's all i have to say get your popcorn ready this is gonna be this is gonna be fun this is definitely gonna be fun united fans this is it. You're going to find out what this United team is made of. You're going to find out what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is made of. Is he the right man? You're going to find out quick. You're going to find out quick. You're going to find out what these United players are made of. You're going to find out a lot about Pogba. Is he going to be able to, you know, coexist? Is he going to, is he going to throw tantrums? Um, it looks like Bruno Fernandes is all the way in. He's He, he called himself Agent Fernandes, recruiting Ronaldo. Um, we'll find out how Sancho reacts. This takes a lot of pressure out of Sancho. He was, you know, the, the big fish that they cooped. Now with Ronaldo coming in, he, people kind of forgetting that, you know, Sancho didn't have the best game with the wall against the Wolves in his opener. He's going to have more leeway to ease himself in. People are going to have, you know, their glasses, their binoculars pointing at Ronaldo. So it eases, it eases some pressure off Sancho. I hope Greenwood, you know, I hope Ronaldo takes Greenwood under his under his wing and just teaches teaches him how to be the ultimate professional because Greenwood has potential like no one on that team. And we'll see how Rashford fits in. It's, it's just it's, this team is super talented, and I'm just excited to see how it plays out for good or for bad. It's gonna be much watched TV. Um, I would not be surprised if you know they make a documentary of you know. Ronaldo coming back to United and how this first season goes and all the drama that's going to come with it is just incredible. Like I said, sports are not just about when you watch your team play, when they're competing. It's it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Uh, it's like a reality show. It's, it's everything. And Ronaldo coming back to United just makes this reality show even better. It's just a, a whole different spectacle now. And I'm here for it. And I'm ready. And let me know what you guys think. Because I'm super excited and I just can't wait for it to begin. Newcastle versus United, I can't wait for it. But moving along, the Nets signed Millsap. Aldridge is also coming back from retirement. He has been cleared after his irregular beat that was discovered last year that forced him to retire. And the Lakers are getting DeAndre Jordan after he completes his buyout. It just looks like... It's inevitable. We are going to see a Nets versus Lakers final, barring anything surprising happening, barring any trades or any, you know, crazy stuff happening, any injuries, any retirements, anything crazy. It looks like we're heading for a Nets versus Lakers final. Uh, I'm just first. I want to say I'm glad Lamarcus Aldridge is back, uh, retiring because of heart concerns. It's never. You never want to see a player go out on not his own terms. Like, obviously, if there was health concerns, he had to retire. He couldn't, you know, just play with his life like that. Um, and it was sad to see him retire. But it's great to see him back. He said he's been cleared by not only the doctor by the Nets, but his own, you know, his own doctor, numerous doctors. So it looks like he is fine. Whatever he had has been, you know, cleared or has gotten better. So that's good for LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, he's had an underrated career. He's been, you know, he's been good with the Spurs. He's been good with the Trailblazers. We'll see how good he's with the Nets. 
really, really solid career that he's had. No, you can't really frown on LaMarcus Aldridge for the great career that he's had. So it was kind of upsetting. It was kind of sad to see him go out on, you know, some medical for medical reasons. So now he gets to come back, have his proper goodbye. We'll see how long he plays for the Nets. It is a one-year, $2.6 million deal. So, But I do think if he is cleared for these heart concerns, he, he could be back for multiple years. It, it, it's not just a one-year thing. It's a one-year contract, but I can see Lamar Kostodges playing, you know, like one or two more years. And Millsap, Millsap also signs with the Nets. Uh, he, he he didn't score double digits points, I think, for the first time in his career or like for the first time in like eight, ten years um, last year with the Nuggets. But I think he still brings bettering leadership. He's that tweener that can play, you know, power forward or he could be a small center. and he, he can still move a little bit. So decent signing for the Nets, both of them, Aldridge and Millsap. Lakers get DeAndre Jordan or they're going to get him after... Uh, the buyout so not not a bad pickup Jordan he is old he's like an old 32 I believe so he's lost a lot of that athleticism but he can still play above the rim and if anything he just adds to that rotation with Dwight Howard we'll see I think they're saying that this means that um, Mark Gasol is going to be gone so you know we'll see how that plays out Mark Gasol I've liked him throughout his career defensive player of the year um, winner with Toronto, great passer, a tall seven-footer. But, I mean, I w- if I'm being honest, I don't think we're losing too, too much just from watching him play last year. So if, if it's Jordan for, um, for Gasol, I don't think it's like we should be like, oh, no, keep Gasol. Um, I would say Gasol adds a little variety to the Lakers' front court position. Uh, he could stretch the floor a little bit. He's a great passer, so it's a little different. If if you want to have players that are not just all similar, I think um, Gasol brings a little different. But he is, you know, he does have bricks on his feet right now. He can't move. He's a liability. And Jordan, he can move a little bit better. But what I'm getting from this is just people, players, veterans in the NBA have you know, highlighted the Nets and the Lakers as, you know, the two front runners and everybody's ring chasing and everybody just wants to be around, along for the ride. And, you know, I don't blame Millsap. I don't um, I don't blame Aldridge coming back, signing back with the Nets. If DeAndre Jordan signs with the Lakers, I don't blame him. Ex-Clipper, you know, he was with the Nets. He fell out of the rotation. Don't blame him. I don't blame any of these guys, but it just, it keeps re- reiterating the point that, we're in a collision course for the Nets versus the Lakers. And it also keeps, I feel like this just makes the Nets and the Lakers, like if people already hated the Nets and the Lakers, they already hated their super teams or whatever you want to call them. They already hated that they're attracting a bunch of players on minimum. They're already hating that they have a lot of depth. I think this just, it just keeps driving that, that down that now. And the Nets and the Lakers are public enemy number one and rightfully so. If I wasn't a Laker fan, if I wasn't a Nets, I'm not a Nets fan, but if I wasn't a Laker fan, I could totally see, even now that I'm a Laker fan, I could totally see how teams would be looking at all these signings, all these players signing for minimums and thinking like, bruh, like, come on, stop it. Like, but it is what it is. That's how the, that's the league that we're in today. And I just think it's, people are going to, the teams, the NBA is going to, it's basically going to be the Nets and the Lakers against the rest of the field like i could see um if the nets or the lakers get eliminated in the playoffs i could definitely see all the other fan bases just uh you know rallying together um rooting for whoever is playing against these teams so we'll see how it plays out uh ultimately i don't think Millsap, aldridge or deandre jordan are moving the needle too much i don't think um i don't think this puts any of these teams over the hump i don't think this really does much to anything i don't think uh any Laker fan or any Net fan is looking at these signings and saying, "All right, you know what? Like that's it. Like if there, if we were competing, if there was any, uh, if we thought that you know, if we were scared of any of the teams in our conference or in our in the NBA, I don't think this brings like a lot of comfort. It's, it, they're good signings. Obviously, you're not. No one's really frowning at these signings. 
as a Lakers fan, it's like, okay, we got DeAndre Jordan. Let's see what he could bring. If he could protect the rim, that'd be great. If he could play above the rim, go up for, you know, alley-oops, that'd be great. And I'm sure Nets fans are thinking the same thing along Aldridge. You know, if he could give us a solid 10 minutes, stretch the floor, uh, you know, be a good passer, Millsap too, you know, be that tenacity guy, go for rebounds, you know, be able to switch on some players, just be a savvy veteran. You know, we'll be cool. We'll, we'll, we'll like him. We'll, we'll we'll take him in. We'll cheer, we'll cheer for them. Like, it's, it's a solid signing as your 10th, 11th month player on your rotation it, it's all good it's all good but i don't think anyone's like oh man we got Millsap, we got aldridge you know like let's go like that's it nets champions like if you already thought the nets were gonna be the clear champions then you you still think that and if you thought you know it's a it's a coin flip the nets and the lakers you probably still think it's a coin flip and if if you thought there was more teams like in the discussion if you thought oh it's gonna be the nets and the bugs and you know the sixers or somebody else you don't think like oh, Millsap and Aldridge, you know the Bucks don't have a chance anymore. Pretty much what you were, what you thought already is still the same. These 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 signings aren't moving the needle in my opinion. Let me know if you guys think this this just makes the Nets super overpowered or this makes the Lakers super overpowered. I don't think it does. I think it'll get a lot of attention because of the names. These all, all these players were all stars at some point in their career. But I think they're in the tail end of their career, and I don't think they move that needle too much. But I do think this is just adds more to the fire of all the other 28 teams in the NBA just rallying together and saying, like, you know what? Like, fuck these guys. Like, I can't wait till the Nets lose. Or I can't wait till the Lakers lose. I could totally see that. I could totally see all the fan bases just being like, okay, like, bro, are they going to get everybody? Like, what's going on? The retirement team for the Lakers how many how much help does kd need like all these things like this just adds to it it just adds to it and i get it i get it but in my opinion i don't think these signings do much for either team five ten minutes 10 15 minutes for all these guys uh they'll have their moments but uh realistically i don't think this does too much for either team and to conclude the nfl season is less than a week away and here are the five things I am most looking forward to for the 2021-2022 season. Number one, the rookie QBs. I think this class of rookie QBs is very exciting. It's 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 probably the class that I've been the most excited for to see in a while. And that's not to take away anything from these other classes that have been before. Um, it's just this one. There's five of them. And it looks like all five of them could get playing time sometime in this season. And, uh, you know, it's just there's just a lot of storylines. You know, there's fans back in the stadiums. It's just there's a lot of things that are coming together that is making this class super entertaining to uh, watch or just very amped up to see them when they finally step into the field. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, he's been touted as, you know, the number one prospect since Andrew Luck can't miss. He's the next big thing. If you get Trevor Lawrence, he's gonna train. He's gonna change your franchise. He's gonna. He, he's a savior. He had a decent preseason. The Jaguars look like they're gonna be bad again, but I'm very excited to see how Trevor Lawrence does. Is he is he able to at least make the Jaguars exciting, watchable on TV? Um, how is he gonna play with with uh, Urban Meyer? Meyer. It's just uh, that's in of itself. Trevor Lawrence is obviously he was already always going to be must watch TV, entertaining. Like I said, you don't become the most hyped up prospect since Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning and not, you know, not garnish, you know, the attention of, you know, NFL fans. So obviously Trevor Lawrence has my attention. I'm, I'm curious to see how he does. I'm going to keep an eye out on Jaguar games specifically for Trevor Lawrence. And I hope they don't break him because that team is not amazing by any by any means. So I hope I hope they don't break him. I hope he succeeds. I hope he's able to get through this year, this season. He has DJ Chark, you know, he has LaVisca Chenault, Um, but the offensive line doesn't look like it's gonna be good. And I just hope he doesn't get hurt like Joe Burrow. And then moving along to other rookie QBs, Zach Wilson, it's almost the same thing. You know, he's hyped up the Jets. Have been bad forever. They haven't had a franchise quarterback in what seems like forever since Joe Namath, probably. 
as a Mexican, I thought it was going to be Mark Sanchez, the Sanchez, but it wasn't. So Wilson, Zach Wilson, that's another one. He's going to start. We'll see how he does. Um, And then uh, Trey Lance, Trey Area, uh, he's not going to start. It looks like it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll see if Jimmy's able to hold him off, if he's able to stay healthy. Um, But Trey Area, another quarterback that looks like he's going to be electric. He could run. Uh, in that Shanahan offense, I'm just excited to see if he's able to get into the field. They're thinking about using two QB systems. So that one's going to be exciting. Like I'm going to keep an eye out on Trey Lance whenever he comes onto the field. I'm pretty sure um, if you ever, if you guys ever watch Red Zone, when something important happens, they always cut to that. They, obviously, they cut to whenever a team is going to score. But um, if someone's about to break a record, like, you know, Scott Hansen always, you know, oh, and... You know, Drew Brees just passed whoever, whoever with this throw or with this touchdown, Tom Brady, and they cut to it and they show you the little clip. I'm pretty sure one of those cuts is going to be every time Trey Lance comes into the game, they're going to be like, oh, and look at Trey Lance coming into the game. So I'm excited to see how that 2QB system works for the Niners and uh, whenever Trey Lance gets his first start or whenever he, you know, gets an extended run, I'm excited to see how he does. Justin Fields, in my opinion, should be starting for the Bears. But, you know, they're going to go with Andy Dalton. But inevitably, I think by week five or six, Trey, um, Justin Fields should be starting. And I hope they don't break him either. I'm scared about that one. That line is not good. They don't have a lot of offensive weapons. It's going to be Justin Fields and Robinson. And that's pretty much it. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't believe in Matt Nagy. Uh, I don't believe in the Bears. Uh, they haven't had a quarterback throw for over 4,000 year- yards and in, in, in their history. So it, it looks tough for Justin Fields. But if anyone could do it, hopefully it's Fields. But he just looks like he has a lot of raw talent. So I'm excited to see him there. And then obviously Mac Jones with the Patriots. They just cut um, Cam Newton. So we'll see how Mac Jones does. Obviously not the best arm talent, not the best like physique. But it looks like he's smart and he's accurate. And with Belichick, that's pretty much what you need. Don't turn the ball over. Make smart decisions. Keep the chains moving. And, you know, ride the ride the ship. So I'm excited to see him. He's going to start from day one. Mac Jones, um, Zach Wilson, and Trevor Lawrence, we're all going to see from week one. We'll see whenever Justin Fields and Trey Area go into the, into the match. But... That's the number one thing I'm looking forward to, how these rookie QBs play out. We get five big-name QB um, rookie QBs, and I'm excited for all five of them. I hope they all succeed. I hope they all, you know, turn their franchise around. Uh, the Jaguars and the Jets, they, they're dying for a quarterback. Um, the Niners look like they should be solid regardless if Trey Area plays, but hopefully he does good. Hopefully he gets to that field, and we see him take that Shanahan offense to the next level. Um We'll see if the Patriots are able to ride um, Mac Jones back into the playoffs. And the one that I'm probably the most concerned about is I hope the Bears don't ruin Justin Fields. But like I said, that's the number one thing I'm looking forward to, the play of the rookie QBs. Number two, Dak Prescott coming back. Uh, gruesome injury. He had a shoulder injury in the offseason, but it looks like he's good to go. He's going to start week one. Dak Prescott, I'm excited for him to come back because Dak Prescott coming back means that the Cowboys are going to be relevant. And for all you Cowboy haters, for all you people that don't call them American teams, sometimes, you know, I could be one of those people that are like, you know, they're not they're not American team. They haven't won in over 20 years. They're irrelevant. No matter what you feel about the Cowboys, they're entertaining. They bring things to talk about and they drive a lot of headlines and news. And it's just always fun when the Cowboys are good. And Dak Prescott coming back, that's going to make the Cowboys relevant again. It's good for the league. It's it's good to have the Cowboys be a good team. Regardless if they win, I'm not saying I want them to win. Don't twist my words. I, I am not rooting for the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. But I am looking forward to Dak Prescott coming back. How is he going to live up to that new contract? The Cowboys are going to be relevant for good or for bad. It's all jokes. I'm excited to see the Cowboy. You know, if if they if they melt in the playoffs, it's all good. It's all fun and games. 
Uh, you know, if, if they lose in the regular season, everyone's going to talk about it. If they blow a lead, everyone's Cowboys being the Cowboys. It's always fun to have the Cowboys in the spotlight for good or for bad. When they do good, it's good for the league. When they do, when they blow leads, when they, you know, they crash out in the playoffs, it's all jokes. It's all fun and games. So Dak Prescott coming back is one of the things I'm looking forward to. They're going to make, he's making the Cowboys relevant again. And it's good for the league, in my opinion. I'm excited to see him come back. The number three thing I'm looking forward to is how the Packers will play. I've touched on this a little bit before. Aaron Rodgers, we don't know if he's going to be a Packer past this season. That could be good. That could be bad. They could all rally behind Rodgers. It could be his last season, the last dance with the Packers. Um, it could rally everyone to just give it their all, you know, play their best, win a last championship, win a second championship with Aaron Rodgers before he leaves, or maybe that causes him to stay. Or it could just add more pressure in those rough situations and those rough patches in the season. And it could just creep up in your mind like, damn, this is tough. And on top of that, on top of this situation being tough, on top of this game being tough, on top on top of us being down in the playoffs and potentially going home, I got to think that, damn, we might lose our franchise quarterback this offseason that's coming up, and that's it. We're going to be – we're not going to be the team that we were. Championship window closed. You know, it's a whole domino effect. So I'm excited to see how the Packers will play. Will they galvanize behind Aaron Rodgers? Will they succumb to the pressure of losing their quarterback next offseason? That's one of the things I'm looking forward to. Number four, Julio Jones with the Titans. This is an important, important move for the Titans. They get another wide receiver along A.J. Brown. Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, they're up there as the best duo in the league. And you back them up with Derrick Henry, with Tannehill playing at a near elite level these last few years. You might even call it elite at an elite level. These Titans could make some noise. They could sneak up on a lot of teams. We're all talking about the, you know, we're talking about the Chiefs. We're talking about the Bills. We're talking about the Ravens, the Browns. Don't sleep on the Titans. Julio Jones could be that X factor for the Titans to take him to that next level into real contenders. Uh, another, the fifth thing that I'm looking forward to, Justin Herbert versus Patrick Mahomes. I've said this before. This has the potential to be the best interdivisional QB rivalry. I'm talking quarterbacks that play in the same division, that play play each other twice a year, guaranteed. You don't have to wait to the playoffs to get that second matchup like it was Brady versus Manning. They'll play each other once in the regular season, and you're hoping for them to play each other in the postseason. Nope, Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes both reside in the AFC West. And if both of the Patrick Mahomes is locked up for 10 plus years, Herbert, if the Chargers are smart, they won't let him walk and he'll be there for 10 plus years too. This is the start of a rivalry. Justin Herbert, second year, Patrick Mahomes, what, fourth, fourth or fifth year. And, you know, they're going to duke it out for the next 10 years. Justin Herbert's coming back. He's not a rookie anymore. It's, it's going to be fun, it's going to be exciting. Two of the best QBs in the league going at it. Patrick Mahomes, the best one. Justin Herbert, top 10. Potential to move up to top five. In my opinion, the best. they're going to be the best QB competition. They could be the best QB rivalry ever. And they're definitely going to be the best QB rivalry from QBs in the same division. I'm excited to see Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert duke it out twice this season. Those are my five things i am looking forward to the most this nfl season and for bonus some that didn't make the cut but i think are still worthy of being mentioned i'm looking forward to seeing stafford with the rams he's out he's out of detroit we'll see if he's able to win a playoff game or even go deeper Wentz with the Colts. is Wentz going to be able to revitalize his career with the Colts? i'm excited to see that and the last one the Winston-led Saints. Jameis, you got LASIK. You can see now. You don't have to squint. Is that going to help him cut the turnovers? Or is you know, he gonna, is it, is it going to be doom and gloom for the Saints? That Those are the things I'm looking forward to this season. Let me know what you guys are looking forward to. It's going to be an exciting season. Uh, I'll be coming next week with my predictions for all the divisions right before the NFL season starts. And yeah. NFL season's almost here. I'm super excited. Let me know what you guys think. What are you guys looking forward to? 
and this should wrap up episode number 63 of the hearts handle sports podcast thank you so much for listening thank you so much for subscribing make sure to subscribe follow the podcast subscribe to the youtube channel this has been episode 63 i finally got my setup ready i got posted some jerseys i got kobe beijing r.i.p kobe my favorite basketball player ever the Damon thomason probably my favorite football player ever and then i got michael jordan the goat on the left uh let me know what what else what else i should put up here uh if you're just listening on the podcast i apologize i have a number 10 kobe jersey i have a number 21 um what's it called light blue jersey for the lt chargers and then i have a u.s basketball team for michael jordan uh in my new room so let me know if i should add anything else i'm thinking maybe getting some soccer stuff some tennis stuff going up but let me know and be on the lookout for the next episode thank you so much have a great rest of your day